Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I am full of turkey. This chat is with the CEO of BrainZoo Studios, a studio he founded in LA 27 years ago, Mo Davudian. During his time at BrainZoo, he's worked with clients like Marvel, Guardians of the Galaxy, Call of Duty, and Lego. And in this chat, he shares what it takes to keep an animation studio ahead of the game after all this time and work with clients like that. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Mo. How are you doing today? Great. How about yourself, Terry? Good, good, good. I'm happy to be chatting. I'm curious, you know, uh, I've been running this podcast for a while. I've talked to a lot of people. What what brings you what brings you to the animation industry podcast specifically? Why do you want to why do you want to share your story? <laughs> well, I figured I've been in the industry long enough and and uh, you've got a great show yourself. So I think it's a good format to come in and share some of my experiences with your audience. And for sure. Um, for sure. And uh, you've got a great thing going. And so why not be a part of it? Yeah. Are you going to make all your employees listen to this afterwards when it comes? Yeah. Out? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk crap about them. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know, to learn about the history of okay. uh, Brain Zoo Studios, but <laughs> you just want to talk crap. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you, you've, you've run this studio for Brain, Brain Zoo for quite a few years. I'm wondering, why don't we dial it back just to start? Um, and where did this come from? Because I know that you started this studio kind of out of school, which I think is really cool. So why don't you dial it back and give me the decision criteria of why you started a studio for your school? I think your school assignments, was it? Well, partially. So uh, I I was at Art Center, uh, Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. So my major was industrial design, but I had always been into entertainment and animation. And while I was there, uh, I took a semester and went to... Uh, Art Center sister campus in Switzerland. And while I was there, the workload was a heck of a lot less in Europe than it was here. So I was kind of got bored with the work that I was doing. So I went in a computer lab and just sat down and started learning 3D and working on my 3D skills that I had already kind of picked up. And so while I was there, it's like that's when Jurassic Park came out. I was like, that's it. This is what I want to do. There's no way I'm going into industrial design or product design. I'm going straight into entertainment. Uh, so I called one of my teachers at the time who had started a little gaming company uh, called Chronos Digital. And um, he said, hey, when you come back, hit me up and then maybe you can do an internship. So when I got back, I did a year long internship with him working on a game called Phantasmagoria. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it goes way back. It's like uh, a woman in a horror realm game. Yeah. But she's yeah. like real. She's like live action. She's live action. The characters are live action. So I was building digital sets and that kind of stuff. So I did like a whole year of this and got some uh, serious production experience that yeah. it was hard what, to get. What program time. were you using to create that? That's like in the 90s. Yeah, it was called Alias. Alias. Alias became Maya. Okay, 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 okay. okay. So that was like, I think we were on version like two or three at the time so if wow. you could make something glow or reflect you were a god at this time. <laughs> so that's that's where i kind of started out and then uh, when i went back to school after doing my internship i got uh, together with a, a buddy of mine who was a exceptional designer uh, and he was had equally the same passion for um uh, doing entertainment creatures and design and that kind of thing so his name's barzad Barahramian. And he eventually went on to do video games like Oddworld and uh, 
you know, worked at high or started one of those founding members of High Moon Studios that Activision purchased, so on and so forth. But we got together and said, hey, why don't we do a short film together? You're really great at designing. I'm really, you know, got a, quite a bit of experience doing 3D. Let's do this together. So we did, and we created this short film uh, that hadn't been done before at school uh, called Persopolis 2, and it was sci-fi, and we combined live action with CG, and, you know, it was like really kind of rudimentary when you look at it now, but at the time it was like, you know, hadn't been done before, right? Yeah. So um, we did this, created this short film and invited industry vets to come in and check it out. Both of us were getting you know, offers right and left because of it. And then I kind of just looked at it and went, you know, this is probably a, an interesting time because this CG thing is really exploding. And there isn't a lot of people that really know how to do this. So there was a, there was a need in the market that was exploding and I just kind of instinctively looked at it and went, oh, I could just start a company. So I got together with a couple of guys that were outside. Uh, one was a business guy, another guy with a half the money and then bought some software, bought some computers. And then right the day I graduated, actually it was a semester before I graduated, we had already kind of started. And so once I came out of Art Center, it was, literally only took one week off and then went straight to work. Wow. And, How did you uh, get your first clients? You know, you're just a group of guys with some software and computers and, uh, you know, good heads on your shoulder. And you were working right away. Yeah. So, uh, well, one of the one of the partners at the time, he, he had some uh, some clients that that were in, on the business side. Right. So they were corporate clients. That we started with and then on my side because i had worked at, at chronos for uh you know that year i met some people there that by the time i graduated had moved on so one of them had moved on to uh activision hmm. and so uh i looked at cinematics as like this is the direction i want to go with the animation side so um got in touch with him he knew the level of work i could do he knew i uh, what, what i was capable of doing so slowly, slowly started to feed us work up on that end. On the corporate side, we started doing some things for Intel and some other people and then started up an internet division to the company at the same time, which internet was just starting out. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we started getting the first clients was just based on personal relationships we already had with people. Nice, wow. So, okay, so you're a group of guys, you're uh, potentially making bank with the internet boom and CG boom at the same time. How, at what point did you decide, you know, to not specialize in like websites and, and internet stuff and then just do CG and special effects and, and uh, cinematography and things like that? Like wh right. where did the diversion happen and how was that decision? So the diversion actually started to happen like around 2000 because uh, both sides of the company started to grow. The internet side was just like exploding because of the need for it. And then on, on the animation side that I was heading up, that was growing significantly too. We, we were doing intros. We started doing commercials for games. Uh, we had also done some uh, visual effects on a couple of movies like Armageddon and Mighty Joe Young, uh, which we got hired to like, head up lighting or do effects and that kind of stuff. And so we just looked at it and went, you know what, working in film is great, but uh, there's a lot of money here, but at the same time, it's like there's not a lot of creative control. There's not a lot of creatives. It's not storytelling, really. It's somebody telling you, I don't like this, I don't like that. 
right? And, you know, Michael Bay likes to yell at people and that only goes so far. Um, so uh, we started just looking at that and then also the internet side, uh, we were supplementing the work on like the website for Starship Troopers, even Armageddon, doing animation and characters, or even for the Muppets. Um, so we That's just kind of looked You're at- getting all yeah. these like giant clients right away. <laughs> yeah, it took a few years to get there, but yeah, it started because there was such a need on the internet and also in 3D that it was both sides were growing on at a rapid pace and you couldn't find artists. It was hard to find artists on both sides. Hmm. Um, so it became very difficult. But then when it kind of hit around 2000 and 2001 kind of came around, it's like the internet was starting to just kind of waffle. And so we decided we were going to just sell off that side of the business and just split the company. Oh, wow. And at that point, once the company split, um, I took the animation and went off on my own. So then it was pretty much on, you know, I was the one heading it up and dealing with everything else. So these original partnership you had with these guys, I don't know how many of you you, you were, but you sold off the internet side and then you said, yeah. like, goodbye, I'm doing... I'm just going to do animation and you kind of took some employees with you or something. Well, like it, it was, it was a couple of things was happening. So the internet, if you remember like in around 2001 after nine 11 happened, it's like everything crashed, like the entire yeah. economy just like yeah. tanked. So that, that in conjunction where I think it was like an election year before that and new boxes were coming out, whenever that happens, it's a bad year when it comes to product uh, releases. So we were suffering at that time on the animation side. The internet was really suffering. So we just kind of looked at it as like, all right, we can sell this side of it off. And because um, the other partners were heading uh, up that division, you know, one of them went, the other one decided to go do other things. And then I said, okay, well, I'll just continue on doing this. Hmm. Um, so that that's how it just became just me uh, heading up uh, BrainZoo. Yeah. Um, but just prior to that, we had done some really great projects that were setting us up for when the economy did come back that we would have, you know, uh, good portfolio uh, pieces. Like we'd worked on Star Wars Demolition. We had worked on Ready Rumble Boxing 1 and 2. I don't know if you remember those games. Um, but like I think the second one, Michael Jackson was in it because he loved the oh game gosh. so much. Yeah. Uh, so uh, those have, were really great portfolio pieces for us to put into our uh, company real as we moved on gotcha yeah I'm, I'm just wondering you know uh everything happened for you so fast right out of school and and uh you know what are some of the challenges of coming right out of school and starting a business and then running it and then uh five years in reaching like an economic uh, downturn and then trying to pick up the pieces and like it sounds like a crazy time for you <laughs> It, you know, it was, I was, uh, when I came out, I was always kind of just wondering, like, you know, on the business side, it's like, what am I missing? Uh, I'm just, I can read books. I'm reading books all the time to you know, figure out what am I missing? But I didn't know what I was missing because I didn't know what I needed to know. I didn't know what, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, there were some gaps in there that it just definitely felt like, you know, there's just something not right that I'm, that I'm not getting. So, um, and with the economic downturn that happened, it just like kind of amplified that even more. Because, you know, your personality can only take it so far. You can get out there and sell yeah, with your personality. But then when you're running the business and doing projections and cash flow and those kind of things. Yeah. I think how big how big was your company at the time of 9-11, uh, I guess, in 2001? So uh, on the animation side, we were 20. And then on the Internet side, I want to say we were another 
60 people. Wow. Oh my goodness. So you're like, yeah. I don't know, 20, 25, 26, uh, heading up a division of 20 people in a business and blah, blah, blah. blah. That's, that's a very different path than a lot of people take when they go to animation school, get their first internship. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something you could do at the time. I mean, people ask me that question. I just got, I was, dumb. I was young, dumb and needed the money. So that's why I did it. Fair enough. Do you think it's possible to do it nowadays? With I, I think it's very difficult today to do it. Yeah. Because the, the need is not, the market is not there. Because there's so much competition out there right now to just come out of school and start something. It's very difficult. Yeah. The, the number one thing everybody is looking for is experience and quality. So you, so like, you know, there's, there's still, there's tons of animation going on these days, maybe arguably more now than ever before, but like what clients are looking for is not, uh, you know, they're not looking for somebody fresh out of school to kind of, uh, put together some pieces and, and artists and things and make something for them. They're looking for something much more high caliber professional. Is, is well, that why my, my clients the, the clients that I deal with, they're all looking for quality. There's like a level of quality bar, let's say on the gaming side that, that they have attained and they're, they're not willing to go below that Yeah, at all uh, by any means. So, uh, you know, there are certain industries you can go into that don't require those kind of... Uh, yeah, like maybe like motion bar. graphics or something. Oh, sorry. sorry graphics. Yeah, maybe this is a little bit off topic, but you were saying, you know, economic downturn, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, you have a company of 20 people, you know, super challenging. Like, how did you get through that? So that was the first one. So we just, just were, were fortunate in 2001 that it was, we had clients that liked us, liked the work that we did. So they kept feeding us work. So we were able to slowly grow and continue on. The next economic downturn that, that happened in 2008, that was the one that was very significant. Hmm. Um, because just prior to that, uh, it was, you know, we were coming off of like some really great projects that we had been working on. It was a, uh, a project called Dark Watch that we were we did for Capcom and, or High Moon Studios. It was really awesome and it was really fun to work on. And then there were several other things that, that we did for uh, other clients. We started working with Marvel uh, and Disney. And so it started to kind of the base of the client started to grow outside the gaming business and started to expand out. And then when it hit 2001, we were we were working on three things. We were working on a game called Splatterhouse, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I forget what the third one was that we were working on at the same time. And like when we were as we we're working on those things, the economy just dumped. And we were slated for other projects that were coming up, and then the clients all pulled back because they wanted to keep the money internal. So we started doing stuff internal, and then we, we were kind of just stuck with like holy crap, what are we going to do? We have our facility, we have, you know, employees, we have, you know, payroll and all that stuff. What wound up happening was we had to let certain people go. Yeah. There was a core team that, that, um, that the company kind of started with and we kind of maintained that core team. And what we wind up doing is we had to go down to kind of like a halftime scenario. Uh, and while we were in that halftime scenario, you know, as a team, we kind of got together and said, you know, you know, this is probably going to last about a year. Uh, could be longer, but this is going to last about a year. I know that there's product people need to get done. People are still releasing, uh, whether it's games or commercials or those kind of things. Like, what do we need to do at this point that will set us up for success when the economy comes back? 
yeah, yeah. So, so at the time, it's like the rendering pipelines were starting to change into physics, physical-based renderings like V-Ray, uh, Mental Ray, those kind of things. So things were starting to shift around where it was becoming more accessible inside the software packages. And so what we kind of got together and went, this is the direction we need to go. We need to change our rendering pipeline and our, our uh, pipeline all together and start adding in tools and building out tools that are going to make things simpler, faster, and more efficient for us to work. And so once we started doing that, then uh, clients, smaller project clients started to come around. Like commercials, we started doing commercials for uh, EA, for uh, Monopoly, and we started, we did a commercial for, a few commercials for um, Lego Star Wars, Lego Indiana Jones. And so we started to deploy this new methodology into those projects. And immediately what we saw was like the level of quality just jumped in, like incredibly. It was different. It was like a different company altogether. So that was like the one thing that we learned from that was like whenever like the chips are down, um, uh, we need to like retool, refigure things out, get ready for what when the economy comes back so that we're at a more cutting edge place than we were before. So, so you, you know, you had to downsize uh, and then you didn't have a lot of client work. So you decided to, like you said, set yourself up for success when the clients came back. So you refigured out your pipeline, looked for some efficiencies and where you could make strides ahead of where you were before. And then when, like when you said Monopoly and, and, and Lego, et cetera, those just kind of came in um, through yeah. the, through whatever marketing you're doing. And then you were able to like really make amazing stuff that maybe other studios weren't yeah. doing at the so same time. There was very few of my competition doing work in the game business that had transitioned over. I think there was only one or two studios. And then, uh, at the time, it wasn't like all the visual effects houses were in on the game business. It was, you know, they came later, but where they were just starting to get into that. Uh, so we jumped in on this and just went, this, we need to always get technology and figure out what's going to uh, raise the quality bar in the studio. Totally. Yeah. And, and so as a collective, we kind of got together and did that. And I had a really great group of people that were, you know, understood the the economic challenges we were all facing together and we're willing to sacrifice for half time and also, um, you know, come in and like really figure stuff out so that we, when it did, when the clients did come back, uh, we would be in a much better place. So that halftime thing lasted, I want to say maybe about a month or two at the most. Um, and then when the clients came in, then it was like a slow trickling in of clients coming in, but we were, as soon as a project was done, we were able to put it on the website or on demo reel. It would immediately be there, so that the the vision or the visual of and the impression of the company would change immediately. Yeah, and and it did. That sounds like a very direct uh, result of you know your your efforts in in finding success in your business. I'm wondering, you know, is uh, it sounds like pushing technology and kind of figuring that out within the pipeline has been kind of your success over the years. Would you say that's would that's true? Yeah, that's true. So, so, you know, um, how do you keep pushing technology when you have to relearn new things? Uh, it's moving so fast these days. Like, how do you ensure that you're ahead of the game when, uh, you know, you're just figuring out one thing and then the next thing comes out? Well, I, I would just have to say that, like, instinctively, I would say that uh, that's the one thing I would um, 
say I, I myself personally have, um, I don't want to brag about myself, but it was like, good. I was this show is about of, you. You can brag right, about yourself. <laughs> let's, enough about me. Let's talk about me. Um, so it was just being able to extrapolate what technologies are potentially going to be used in the future. Um, we actually started using Unreal Engine around 2001, 2002. Because I didn't I, it was that old, to be yeah, honest. It's, it's been there a while. I mean, we used to play one of their games, Unreal Tournament. We, everybody in the studio loved playing it. It was the kind of thing that, it, I think it was one Christmas Eve, we were at all at a party, and then all kind of looked at each other. You guys want to go back to the office and play Unreal? And I was like, yeah. And then we all wow. just left the party and went to play Unreal. It was really great. Um, and we just stayed <laughs> really up all night. for you guys. It. Everybody else is like, "Where's what happened? <laughs> Where did everybody go? Uh, so at that point, I was looking at this technology going, yeah, it's, it's more rudimentary now, but this is the future right here. This is the future of filmmaking, not just games. This is a yeah. future of visual effects. This is a future of filmmaking, TV shows, anything animated. This is it right here. So we started, prior to that, we were doing like pre-rendered work, like rendering stuff out of like Maya, right? And then we, I saw this tech and I said, I need to get in, we need to get on, on projects that utilize this technology and start doing cinematics in real time. Because this allows us not only we're storytellers, but it allows us to learn this technology and move forward, which we started doing. So we started getting one, two clients here and there, and then slowly building up a roster of uh, working on this technology and at the same time deploying cinematics and storytelling in this way. And that led to ushering in a whole slew of other things in the past 10 years that yeah. we, were, we were doing. Wow. I'm wondering, you know, you've mentioned a lot of uh, big branded clients. How, you know, you were a very small company starting out. You're much bigger now. How have you been able to attract these clients over the years? Do you work with reps? Do you uh, climb into their DMs? Like, do you just put out amazing work? It's word of mouth. Like, how do you how do you end up working on Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance? Like, oh, so uh, it's all it, it's been based off of um, the work quality and uh, building relationships over time. Gotcha. So well, like when you're looking for new work, you don't like put out, you don't like, you know, do a massive call out, email everybody, you know, call up your whatever. It's more just like you have your formula is do good work, build relationships, and that will keep us stable over time. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely do have business development that goes out there and searches out new clients uh, and, uh, brings those clients in uh, but the majority of the work that we do has been repeat customers yeah how, how have you seen that change over the years you know your company's been around for what 25 28. 28 28 years now i'm sure it's much different you know operating out of california do you do you see like what has been the big shift in kind of customers you've been working with over the years and um, has that been kind of intentional as well like you said you were kind of looking for clients that you could make Unreal Engine projects with, et cetera. Yeah, honestly, in the 90s and the early 2000s till the mid 2000s, it was just a bunch of us geeks who were in this business that just kind of went, hey, you do good work. Hey, I like this kind of stuff you guys do. You want to do some stuff together? And it was like, that's how you did it, right? right? And then you started building your relationship on there and they moved to other places and recommend you and you continue doing good work and your reputation grows. And uh, we're fortunate that we've had a good reputation for the work quality that we do and the work speaks for itself. Yeah. And so that that is the main way that, that we were doing it. And then the way the clients have changed over the over the years now, it's been, 
Well, the expectations have gone up higher. The expectations are incredibly different than what they used to be. Um, and so the um, getting the clients is kind of still the same because you built relationships and it's based off of your work product. But then uh, being able to um, close deals is more difficult because there's more competition. So the clients have more um, uh, resources to go to in order to get things done. And with tax credits and things being cheaper and other side of the world, it really ultimately comes down to dollars and cents. And your relationship is not the number one thing. Mm. It comes down to dollars and cents because somebody above them is telling them that we have to spend less money. Yeah. Um, so that's one big change that's happened. But the expectations of clients has really kind of gone up exponentially. So how do you compete when, you know, you're you're doing your best work possible, you have your relationships, and then it comes down to price at the end of the day, and you end up losing projects because somewhere in another country, they're able to come up with a pretty similar quality for much cheaper. Um, really what, it, what that part comes down to is um, there are certain projects we are not going to be a good fit for when it comes to budgets, because if you're going to us for an estimate and you're going to China or India for an estimate, we're always going to lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's we have to look at it that way. We would always lose those battles. The ways that we've been able to just maintain has been maintaining, uh, doing something that other studios aren't doing. Hmm. So uh, that's the the one thing, and that goes back to the technology. Yeah. So if you're an expert at something they're not doing or you got a certain look or a style that other people aren't doing, then that gives you the edge. Right. So so, uh, you know, why would I go to you today for a project? Like what is, what is that kind of unique selling proposition that you're giving me that other studios don't have? So uh, our pipeline uh, is one of our biggest selling points because mm. uh, we are. More and more studios are getting into the real-time thing, but we have 20 years of experience doing real-time. Like We established the pipeline years ago that, that makes it efficient for us to do the work that we do. The other thing that we're able to do is the pipeline, the way we do our work, allows us to do things faster and quicker than other people, but maintaining a high level of quality. Makes sense. And that's the other just differentiating factor for us. Um, like we did two animated features for Marvel in seven months, which is and crazy, which is crazy. <laughs> Nobody else in the world has been able to do that, but hey, from start to finish, like from, from getting the script to delivering the, yeah. like you could, you like, <laughs> that's less than having a baby. <laughs> Time it takes yeah. to have a baby. You've yeah, created it a feature hurts film. More. It just hurts more. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. But, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that it was like, again, just looking at technology, what can we do using real time? It was one of our things and, and just pushing uh, whatever methodology and techniques that we can in order to, yeah. uh, you know, to stay, keep that competitive edge. So, OK, so, you, you know, you've been running this business for quite a few years. You developed the technology aspect. You've got a great pipeline. You've got 50 something employees from a personal standpoint. Like, you know, I, I don't think. I mean, at least it doesn't sound like you ever wanted to start running your own business when you were, you know, in um, school the first time around. What's been the most challenging and maybe rewarding things personally to to push yourself this far? Uh, I would say the most challenging thing has been, you know, I'm always a, I'm I'm an artist at heart. Right? Yeah, I'm an artist at heart, and so 
when I started this business, it was all about the art and it's all about what's on the screen. And like those gaps that I was missing when it came to business has always been the challenging thing, hmm. which eventually I filled those gaps in my getting an MBA and figuring out, I was like, oh, this is where I was going wrong there. Oh, this is where I was going wrong there. So what it allowed some, me to- uh, Yeah, just maybe specifically, like what were some of the big gaps that your MBA taught you and i think it's interesting that you got an mba because you know you you're already running a business um the other options might be you know get a mentor uh you know talk to other studios or an mba like going back to school and spending a lot of time in the books (laughs) yeah sounds sounds like uh something i don't want to do again (laughs) well yeah no it's i'm done i'm not going back to school but it what I what I'm saying is like I did get a mentor at one point and like the stuff that he was telling me I was like I already know this stuff but I still felt like I was missing something mm. there was like there was a process procedure those kinds of things that you know when I sit across someone who's a CEO of a bigger company and it was just like it was always like you know something I don't yeah right and which is why he's in that position you know something that I don't know what is it that he knows that I don't know so a lot of it came down to on the finance side on a financial mm. side of things, um, how to appropriately deal with that side of it. Even though I had accountants and bookkeepers and those things, you know, and lawyers. What do you mean financial of side of things like cash flow and like, you know, figuring out your accounting, whatnot? Like uh, some of that stuff, yeah, like cash flowing things, uh, budgeting things properly, making sure that, uh, you know, when we're going out and looking to get loans or getting investors or doing any of those things like you've got to be able to speak the language hmm. right? yeah you got to be able to talk the talk when you're sitting across from someone and not just kind of be like i don't know what the hell you said or she said um and even on the marketing side it's like being effectively do a marketing plan setting up a marketing plan doing the research doing the industry researches doing all of the competitive analysis that you need to do that you know that's stuff that you don't really I wasn't taught that kind of stuff when I was an art center. I read the books, but I was like, yeah, is this really right? I'm not sure if this is right because the yeah. books that I would read, it was like opinion-based books. It wasn't like, this is the proper way to do it. Right, right. Um, so when I did go down and get the MBA, it was, uh, it was eye-opening. You know, I, I had not um, looked at my business. Like I sat down and looked at the business while I was in the MBA program, looking at it going, you know, we're taking a shotgun approach to how we're approaching like marketing and trying to get work in the industry. And it was like, really, we need to be more strategic. Instead of shotgun, we need to be more like a sniper. You know, it's like taking, this is the example I was given. It's like, you want to take the row of boat out into the middle of the lake to catch fish, right? But you've got this giant net and you're throwing this net all the way out, but it's got all of these big holes in it, right? Because it's a big net. And so when you're pulling it in, you're catching very few fish because they're escaping out of the net because it's such a big net you're dropping. Because why don't you just drop a smaller net here, kind of conquer that, and then drop yeah. another one there, another one there, another one there. And then that's how you'll build your business out. Totally. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, holy crap. It's not just like doing all of these services at once. So once I did that and I reduced with the kind of stuff that we did, it was like much more beneficial to us. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, like, what were the immediate or maybe long-term effects of you taking this MBA to redirect your, you know, strategies a little bit more with the business? Well, 
I was able to uh, do an analysis of all of our com com competitors, what they're doing, what we're doing, and then just figure out, like, where's our different, what makes us different? What is it that they're doing that we're doing, but they're doing better, so there's no need for us to do that right now because they're doing it better. Where are the areas that they're not doing that we're better at, and those are the areas that we go and uh, focus on. And so in a short term, it worked out well. Because then it was like, all right, we're only focusing on these things. So because those things were, were, were really good at, and those are and those are areas that were not being outsour outsourced to other places, or they were being outsourced, but they weren't getting the quality bar, we were able to seize on that. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And so then we kind of just built out from there. You also mentioned, uh, you know, you're an artist first and foremost. How much of the process are you involved in? these days where you're actually doing art rather than running a business? So as time has gone on, I mean, I know how to use almost all of uh, all of the same software as my artists do. So if everybody know, everybody quits tomorrow, you're still good to complete the, I can <laughs> the still client <laughs> project. <laughs> and there are times where it's like, the you know, the team needs a hand. They're like, hey, can you get in here and get all this lighting done or get this done or that done? I was like, yeah, I got time. I'll get it and jump in there and do it. Uh, I actually enjoy doing that part because that's nice. like my hobby became my my passion and my work, right? Yeah. Uh, so I do enjoy doing it. Um, uh, to to further go down on on that uh, answering your question is um, in my in the business like I don't get to do as much as I would like to, but what I'm also trying to do is not be uh, not be the bottleneck. Because I used to be the bottleneck. Because all of the, not only the business stuff, but all of the creative used to go through me. Yeah, I was the last word on everything, and it's like you have to look at it as like I want to, I don't want to work. I want to work on my business, but I don't want to work in my business. Okay. Be because then I become the bottleneck. That sounds like a huge ego shift, though, to you know have the power, the creative direction, power for everything and the business, and then hand that over to somebody else and trust them and be like, uh, "You're you're good." Like I built this from scratch myself, and now I'm no longer part of that. Like how do how do you uh, complete that mental shift in your mind? Um, well, I just I had to look at it as like it's not about me; it's about we, the business. And it's about the artists and uh, some of the guys that I work with, I've been working with for 20 plus years. So I trust them implicitly. Yeah. They know it's like they know what I, I would be commenting on or looking for. So it's like you guys can do this. You got this handled. And at some point you have to hand it off to people you trust. You have to trust the artists that you're working with. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of artists that they'll prove themselves not trustworthy. Right. But you just kind of have to shift, sift through and find the ones you can trust. <clears throat> that have the foresight, the creative, and the attitude in order to get things done. And then those are the people you hand it off to. Totally, totally. I'm wondering, you know, uh, what, what, like, looking at your studio, can, can you just give a snapshot of kind of what the studio looks like today? Like size-wise and projects-wise, like how many you take on a year, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, the studio is, uh, when COVID hit, uh, just before, yeah, there's the COVID talk. <laughs> Uh, it's the reason that coming out of that, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Well, when COVID hit, it was, you know, we all had to go remote. But we had already kind of set up a remote. And that was one of the things that I saw that was coming. It's like, there's going to be the future of this industry is not going to be people in the studio. The future of this industry is going to be people from around the world working as a studio. 
Um, and so what we wind up doing is like, all right, when COVID hit, we said, all right, we'll give this a year. If the year is up, do we hold on to the brick and mortar? Hmm. And so when the year hit, we had already been working on projects and getting things done and were very productive. Quality didn't suffer. Um, the work was maintained and actually went up. We were getting more done. And I think a lot of people were happy. There's very few people that were like, yeah, I want to drive an hour to get to the studio and an hour back to get home. Right. And so we, uh, we shut down a brick and mortar. So wow. we became completely virtual. And so not only do we not uh, have our own equipment anymore because all the equipment's in the cloud. So servers in the cloud, the equipment's in the cloud, and we can work with anybody from anywhere around the world yeah. in the system that we have so they can dial in without, and we got a good internet connection. We have access to more artists around the world. We'll become more financially competitive because we're able to source uh, more people from around the world. So the studio, you know, went up and came down in terms of size when we were in COVID and then we're on the growth path again. So we're about 30 right now. Wow. Okay. Amazing. What, you know, um, there's a lot of studios that I've talked to that are, well, and that also just exists that are kind of around the same size as you. And, you know, they're also kind of going uh, globally, not having a brick and mortar office as well. You know, what, what is the future of, brain zoo studios like when you project it 15 20 years you know yeah. the animation boom that we're all experiencing from cg and 2d and tweening and all that stuff is not that old when you consider it you know yeah. what what is the what does the future look like for studios of your size so i think that uh for studios of our size it, it is going to be a, a virtual studio so you're going to see more virtual studios popping up and uh, some will grow and they'll grow to massive numbers and others will stay small our future is not going to be a gigantic studio. Yeah. Um, the last time we grew to over 80 people, it was like I would, people were getting lost in, in the studio. It was like, who are all these people? Like Nobody knew each other anymore. It became like we were always a very tight, small family unit. Yeah. Um, you know, even though we had grown substantially, but it was like there were still people who knew each other and hung out with each other. And when you grow really big, the culture shifts and changes after 50 people. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. You're growing from small to yeah. medium, medium to big. And uh, you get subcultures growing inside of your business. That's the other thing you learn in MBA. It's like once you hit 50, then you're to get subcultures growing in your company that you have no control over. Yeah. So the future I see is like we're going to stay smaller so we can stay creative. We can stay, uh, you know, still do the same level of work that we're doing. So, okay, that, that's an interesting thought to me because you just said you're going to be online only and potentially hiring people from different countries to, you know, the benefits of that are staying competitive, uh, greater roster of amazing artists, uh, bringing in different skill sets and different cultures and things like that. But if you're trying to maintain culture, isn't that kind of difficult to do, uh, you know, online and mm -hmm. with people in different time zones? It is. It is tough to maintain culture when you're a virtual studio. It's been, I think, for everyone who's done virtual work, it, it's hard to maintain a culture, but I think it's, uh, there's a give and take in there. Yeah, the give is that uh, that you're able to access greater number of artists, and it will lift up the, the studio, the quality of the studio, the quality of each other and the other artists. 
And uh, the take of it is that you're not in the same room. You don't get to bounce off ideas and, you know, have that interaction that then makes being in a studio so sweet. Um, but I think in the long run, as people get more and more used to this kind of work, that uh, building the culture is going to be more interaction, even if it is via video or uh, video chats in this way. And if you're a large enough studio that you can have events that people can attend or you can afford to bring them out for those events, then you have an opportunity to really kind of connect with people. Makes sense. Um, what is preventing you from growing to 80 people, 100 people, 1,000 people when it's now online and you can easily you know, take on a new project and hire a bunch of people uh, you know, if the culture is changing in that sense? So it's not... Uh... The, the challenge is not finding the people. There's a lot more people out there now than ever before. And because we're now, we have a global reach um, when it comes to artists, um, it, that's not the issue. Finding the people is not the issue. Properly being able to deploy your pipeline and your methodology across all of those people, especially new people from around the world, that's the challenge. And who's going to manage all that? Gotcha. So you have to have your... Uh, your lieutenants and your generals in the right places and positions with the experience in order to be able to oversee those things effectively. Um, when we grew up, grew to 80, it's like we well, we had the right people in place in order to be able to do that. So we were able to manage it, but still it was, once we passed that 50 person threshold, it was like it became, some things became a little difficult. You actually needed more management in order to be able to manage. Totally. And Whereas prior to that, it was like, one producer yeah yeah fair and and like that's not specifically a line you want to cross where you know you have 10 generals and you're managing 10 generals instead of just one type of deal no i would i i would i would cross that threshold of course um if the projects are there and the client the right clients are there the right clients is very important to have there um you know, there's we there's only certain group of clients we prefer to work with now than before, mm -hmm. and having those clients and having long term projects makes sense in order to have a studio like that. Yeah, when you're working, let's say on an animated feature, or you're working on cinematics that are going to take a year, year and a half to do, makes sense to to grow like that. But if it's like hey, a month here, a month here, a month here, it doesn't really make sense to make sense. Uh, maybe maybe a last question to kind of wrap things up. You know, you've You've been in this industry for quite a while. You've worked on some really, really cool things, worked with some great uh, clients that other people would love to work with. You know, what has kind of kept you going this whole time? And what is the dream, your ultimate dream with pursuing this versus, mm. you know, you went through some economic downturns. Why didn't you say like, this is too hard. I'm going to get something more st stable for myself in some other area, for instance. Oh, I, I say that all the time. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's one of those things where it's like if people ask me, it's like, oh, I want to run a studio. And I ask them, like, well, do you get motion sickness? And they're like, what? And I go, because you're going to be a lot of ups and downs like this. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there are those challenging times. And, like, really what, what kept me going and, and pushed me, propelled me forward is, like, the, the future, another part of our future is going to be doing original content, yeah. doing original IP and content. Okay. And that's something that we dabbled in, in uh, a few years ago when we started to do short our own short films. I found that, you know, we were having a hard time based off our client deadlines, not being able to deploy all of the technology we wanted to or all of the quality bars that we wanted to because A, either they weren't asking for it 
or they weren't paying for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was it was hard to like do things that we really wanted to try out. So we we again as a team got together, we came up with a couple short films and we're like, all right, here's all the stuff that we want to do, we want to push and we want to create new tools for it, blah, 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 all of these things. So we did a couple of um, short films that weren't just short films. They were created specifically with the intent of them being IP. So it was like, you don't just do a short film to me. You don't do a short film and just say, it's just a short film. It's like, well, what did, why not create an IP at the same time? Because then it has more value for you. Yeah. Um, so we business, created some, businessman thinking, right? Yeah, there. businessman thinking. So <laughs> I don't want to create short films for the arts. I want to create it for the <laughs> business. Well, we did it for the art, but then it has to have a business component. <laughs> no, of course, of course. I'm the exact yeah. same way. It's, it's yeah. I totally understand that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, and that was it. So we we created a couple short films, and we started dabbling in the original IP. And so we've been out uh, pitching while we're still doing service work for our clients, and that's kind of interesting. So you want it to go. So your idea with creating your own IP is to sell it to a broadcaster or network, for instance, you don't want to create like, you know, some studios have a YouTube channel and they develop an audience there and and end up, you know, publishing stuff like that. Or uh, you want to, you want somebody to buy it first before you produce it, I guess. Well, on those particular projects, yes, because the quality bar is so high on them that it's not something inter- yeah, internally the studio. That. Yeah, you need funding for that kind of thing. But we have been talking about, um, you know, we're doing stuff that is uh, more manageable. Uh, and so, you know, even having animators take assets that we already have for these things and create little short films on their own. You, and then maybe those are the things that we put online. But it, it's one of those things that just, it has to be the right idea in order for us to like jump in and create a YouTube channel and really invest in it. So, okay. So you have a studio behind you, you've got tons of employees, you've got state-of-the-art technology, you've got the pipeline, you've got reputation, you have clients in all the major studios and you've got relationships and you're developing your own IP. Like what's, what's, what's preventing you from, getting something like obviously you know there's the whole uh bureaucracy and politics and timing with uh getting something sold but like it sounds like you have you're in a great position to have something get picked up like what is the biggest Mm -hmm. thing preventing you from reaching that well i would say it's the timing has to be right on it and who you're sitting across the table with uh we have been out pitching the the ideas that we have to the various studios over the past you know two three four years and i can't tell you how many times we've gone and pitched it it's been a really great pitch and then like within i don't know a month two six months that person's no longer there yeah and like you're back at zero and you got to go through this whole thing all over again you got to find out who the person is be able to contact them get in front of them and then by the time you go through that process like who knows what happened Right. Yeah, there was there was a lot of people that we met with over in Netflix and they're like gone. <laughs> so it's like, who's next? Right. Exactly. Um, so that's part of it. And and the other one is really having being able to sit across from someone who's I want God, you know, I, I, I want to just be blunt and say that you, there's somebody who's got the vision and is brave, who's not chicken. Like yeah. There's a lot of less, chickens out there. Less sequels and copycat things made. Like the amount of times that I go on like, xyz broadcaster won't name anybody and i'm like this everything looks the same and 
boring. Like we need something fresh and new and nobody's willing to take those risks right now, especially as like all the streaming services are super competing. Yeah. And like, I don't know, it's the, the golden age of trying out everything was years ago already. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I agree with you. It's like there's Star Wars got made because there was one person that had the vision and was brave. Totally. totally. And this, this is what you got out of it. It's, that's the kind of person you're hoping you're sitting across because most of the people that we've visited or worked or have sat across with, it's either they don't get it uh, or uh, they don't have the vision for it. Yeah. Or they're just afraid of their losing their position. I mean, I sat across from a, a guy that has a major Hollywood studio. I'm not going to name the studio, but I sat across this person and like we're pitching the stuff to him and then at the end, we just asked him, like, hey, so you've been here like 13 years. How come you've only done like one project? And he goes, the less I do, the less likely it is that I'll get fired. <laughs> nobody, can blame, nobody can blame this person for, for failures if, if they don't do anything. <laughs> exactly. And it was like, oh, my God, this is what we're dealing with. Well, totally. And the other thing that I've come across is uh, you have the certain person who is a development person but they're not uh they don't have a creative spirit i guess so mm -hmm. they're more or less looking at um you know mermaids are popular right now and so let's do something mermaids or you know we have the stats that show that this type of show is going to be successful with this formula mm -hmm. and it's like well then you're just gonna why am i pitching you if you already know exactly what you want just create your create your kind of cookie cutter <laughs> tv show and that's that's fine like yeah you need somebody who is excited about uh you know something new and trying something different like you said a little bit of bravery totally makes yeah. sense yeah i but, think you know with, with a lot of shows out there and there's a lot of creative people out there that have a really good idea but they may not be really uh amazing at pitching the idea that's fair that's true but that doesn't mean that the idea isn't amazing so just because you don't have a good pitch doesn't mean the idea is bad so it's having people that can see through that and see that, hey, this person may be socially awkward, but then has a really great idea that, that could potentially be amazing for us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I I'm that guy. I can talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> we sure can. Well, I, won't, I won't take all your time, but, you know, is there anything else that you wanted to share or talk about as we, we you know, we've chatted about where you're from, your journey, starting the studio, going through some tough times, getting your MBA to figure out how to push it to the next level, how you get clients. And where the future is? Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Yeah, I know. I know that you have uh, artists that are that watch the show. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. One of the key things that uh, that I, we have come across with artists that uh, really make them successful is like we really are looking for people that are, um, you know, self starters that don't require uh, that want to actually be creative and not looking for being told what to do. And we're seeing a lot of that where it's like people are looking to be told what to do rather than I'm going to be creative. I'm going to do something. So, so what do you mean? You know, you start, you're a new artist, you get your first job and um, you have to be bold to push forward your own kind of ideas and creativity rather than just doing exactly like uh, character walks from A to B getting there. No, what I'm saying is, um, well, partially that, that when you go into a position that A, when somebody hands you a shot and says, do this shot, obviously you're asking a lot of questions like, what is this character doing? What's the emotion? What's the point of the shot? What's the point of the scene? And what are we trying to emotionally get across? 
and then run with it and like do your art instead of saying, what do you want me to do? Right. Right. And, or not paying attention to when you get notes. Gotcha. Man, that's, that's, sounds like basic, but you're finding that people are. Hmm. That, you know, that happens like there, there's been quite a few times where you just go, I just gave that note really honestly. And I wonder if it's cause like back in the day to get into the industry, you had to be so passionate about it uh, to even find an opportunity. I find that with stop motion specifically cause it's so niche. Yeah. The only people that are in stop motion are so ridiculously passionate about it that yeah. they make it happen versus like, you know, there are animation schools just pumping out students every year right now. Yeah. Um, which can lead to <laughs> maybe a little yeah. bit more of what you're saying. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. Like um, our, our, our animation supervisor slash director is, uh, you know, one of the masters in stop motion. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was animating Gumby. You'll have to introduce me. <laughs> his, his name is Harry Walton. I mean, you look up his, he's, he's yeah, got, his, he's, he's going to be my next guest. He's going to be your next guest. He'll be happy to, I'm sure he'll be happy to come talk on the show, but he, he's amazing. He comes from a, a discipline of um, where it's like, you know, when people commit to a project, they see it all the way through. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, there's no, there's no guesswork, you know, with folks like him, like people that I've, uh, worked with him that have been of that generation or even uh, generation leading up to mine. It's like you, you you hand them something, they go with it, they get it done, and then there's a whole nother generation, which is also another thing you learned in business school. It's like a whole nother generation wants to be told exactly what to do. They want you to present everything to them, and those are the people that, uh, folks that are, uh, you know, that's going to be the future of animation, but that's not what the business needs. The business needs people that are self-starters, that are committed, that can get stuff done. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. So maybe if somebody's listening and they're like, you know what, I actually identify with uh, feeling more comfortable with being told what to do. What would you suggest to them to be, get more of that self-starting attitude? And, and uh... Well, I would say it's like, first of all, it's like you're in this industry why. Yeah, right. You want to be creative, right? You want to be create and you want to express your creativity and you want to be creative. You don't want to be a tool. Like the industry already has a bunch of tools. You as an individual, as a person, what, what we're industry is looking for is people that can execute and have ideas. That's the thing that is in shortage is like people with ideas. Those are the people that are going to last and have longevity in the business. People uh, that think like, hey, just tell me what to do. It's like, well, you can get that overseas if you want. It's like there's entire factories full of people that are told what to do but may not want to be creative. Um, but if you really don't care about, uh, you know, you want to be told what to do, then you got to figure out which industry works better for you. Because that I makes think sense. And especially when you're a, a smaller studio, like I'm, I mean smaller, you're not like Disney or, or whatnot. Yeah. You don't... Like you need people, you need a different type of person to fit into that culture. Specifically. Yeah, we need people that are curious. I mean, I, I'll you know briefly tell you a story about a guy who worked with years ago and he was a really good animator. Uh, and then and we came to a point where like, hey, can you do a previs or animate the camera on this? And he said, I, I don't know how to animate a camera. And went, what? Okay, and he, went, <laughs> he goes, I've never had to animate a camera. Somebody else has always done it for me. And, went, and you've never been curious to know how to animate a camera? 
And it was like clear that at that point, it was like, I can't use you after next week because you don't want to learn how to do it. You never touched a camera. Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, that's my wow. story. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, finding your thing and staying within it as well. Like that, that's totally neat as well. But anyways, Mo, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Is there anything else you wanted to share as we are, as we're wrapping up here? It's still a good industry and it's fun to work in. I love that. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I can't imagine doing anything else. You too. Yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting and hearing your story and uh, best of success with uh, the studio and everything going forward as you're moving completely online. I think that's great. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and of course. And if you're listening and you want to you know, reach out to Mo or follow his work, you can check out his studio's website, which is brainzoostudios.com. And I'll include a link to that in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.